an 8-bit Rocket Studios production. <laughs> it, was, oh. it was a difficult junction, and I was literally like, oh my god, just imagine if I got, like, sort of, you know, taken out by a truck or something. You know? <laughs> Jeff Minter dead. It's my fault. This, this, this would have been a different podcast. Dark music composer <laughs> kills Jeff Minter. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, just, just, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Programmed in basic, we explored eight-bit worlds. It's us crashed onto a digital shore. This full video production of our mini Jeff Minter retrospective and interview with Tony Longworth about the Heart of Neon documentary is also published as an audio-only podcast called Season 6, Episode 10, Minter, Giles, and Zarjaz with Heart of Neon soundtrack composer Tony Longworth. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever good podcasts are found. Jeff Minter, the Yak, one half of Llamasoft, the Stinky Ox on Twitter, er, X, is an Atari legend, having created games for the Atari 8-bits, ST, Jaguar, and beyond. His Tempest 2000 is considered to be one of the very few must-have original Jaguar titles. Jeff is legendary in Atari ST circles for both his bedroom-coded games and his incredible Atari ST action series of back-page editorials talking about Zarjaz and his experiences playing with and coding on any number of new Atari secret machines. His love of Defender, Robotron, Centipede, Empire Strikes Back, Particles, Explosions, Beasties, and creating psychedelic music mixed with a visual feast of light storms fueled his 16-bit computer classics from Andy's Attack to Defender 2, from Llamatron to Super Grid Runner, from Revenge of the Mutant Camels to Photon Storm. Also, in many of his games, he would target the STE for sound or color improvements at the very least. His sprite and particle routines were so good, he usually didn't need an STE for scrolling or blitter rendering. He even made a smash on the Atari 8-bits with a quirky hover-bubber, the complete 8-bit Zarjaz of Grid Runner, and even the original Mutant Camels. Of course, his list of games for almost all 8 and 16-bit computers is a mile long, but we focus on Atari here, and while all the other platforms are awesome, especially if they have Minter games, we'll take the ones on the 8, 16, and 64-bit Atari systems from the beastie-loving Welsh gaming legend first and foremost. Jeff and his Llamasoft partner Giles are the focus of a new documentary, Heart of Neon, by filmmaker Paul Doherty. And we have Tony Longworth here, our brother from another, to discuss it as he is doing the entire soundtrack for this feature-length Jeff Minter celebration documentary. There are some great stories in this episode, and we even feature a music track from the documentary. We're in for some fun, now on with the show. So, 
Uh, we're here with Tony Longworth. Let's introduce Tony Longworth. Tony, you've been doing music for our podcast ever since you sent us in Into the Vertical Blank song. I don't know how long ago it was. Six years ago? Five years ago? And then Probably. we just said, let's let's steal Tony's library and put a song in every one of our episodes because we can. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. You guys are still using my music. I was unaware. No, I'm kidding. We use your music all the time. Exactly. <laughs> what do you mean? You always... Yeah, if we yeah. ever... Ma- yeah, anyway. Um, okay, so, um, so Tony, why don't you introduce yourself a little? We've talked a lot about you before, but you've never really formally introduced your Atari heritage, your first game you played, all those things that all the podcasts ask. You just go for it. Let us know. Give us some Tony Longworth background. Okay. So I, I, I'm Tony Longworth, music composer and massive Atari geek. I was brought up on Atari uh, in the UK. Um, my friend got an Atari VCS before I did, so I was completely, well, I was around at his house a lot, basically, when he had that VCS. So I was like, I need more Atari. I ended up getting an Atari 400. Uh, I remember the Chris, I, I can't remember the year, but I remember the Christmas. I actually got that Atari 400. I got the Donkey Kong cartridge, and I got the Defender cartridge, which I've still got here, buried somewhere back there in the studio. And I just remember it was amazing. Hook it up to the big TV in the living room, playing it on Christmas Day, absolutely loving it, and kind of just haven't looked back since then. It's just everything. I've got everything Atari. I've got an Atari Jaguar down there. Got a links in the cupboards behind me. There's Atari. Everywhere. I just love Atari. Hey, I, can I ask you a question about that, Tony? Sure. So, in the early days in the UK, let's say eighty, you know, seventies and eighties. Yeah. Um, yeah. Atari was not that big, were they? So, can you explain a little bit about how you know what it, what Atari actually was in those days before, like the ST and the Jaguar and the Lynx? Sure. Yeah. Well. It, it wasn't it wasn't a big computer so the 8-bit computers the atari ones weren't big in the uk at all there was the commodore 64 the spectrums and stuff like that and the reason i think my friend ended up getting well the atari vcs's were everywhere and then once everyone was upgraded to computers people went spectrum commodore you know that way and the reason i think my 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 friend got an atari 400 before i did and i think the reason he did his dad worked abroad in i think it was saudi arabia so he picked up a whole load of american computer mounts like compute also once he got the atari uh, computer he was picking up antic and analog from over in saudi as well so we we got fascinated with this other computer my friend got the 400 i got the 400 and so that's kind of why we went down the route because it wasn't massive it was in the shops alongside all the other computers at, at, at one time and then it kind of died out a bit in the UK and the Commodore 64, the Spectrum, they just went massive well, really here. So the I was price kind of on couldn't a, have, The price couldn't have helped, right? The price. Well, probably, you, you, you know what? My parents were obviously very generous by getting me an Atari 400 one year. I, I wouldn't have a clue how much. It, you know they well, were you, back then if you think about you know the specs of it are kind of close to the bbc micro not the acorn but the bbc micro yeah. right and yeah. that yeah. didn't that should have been the biggest seller it was in every school and everything like the problem was it was way too expensive yeah. and it was it was i had a couple of friends who had the bbc micro we obviously had it in our school 
uh, and we loved it and we had Elite on it and we had a couple of friends who had uh, BBC Micro, then there was a handful of us with Ataris, then everyone else had all the other stuff that was like ridiculously popular, you know, and, and everywhere really. So that's kind of why I went down that route. It was, I guess it was my best friend's dad who worked in Saudi, who picked up these compute magazines way back when, and we were flicking through and we're like, yeah, Atari, what's, what's, oh my God, there's a computer. There's a, we, we have the PCS and now there's a computer, you know, got really excited. There's a computer with a, like a flat keyboard, with a membrane keyboard. This is amazing, this is amazing. You know, so, Sounds yeah, familiar. Keyboard. You know, even yeah, though Atari yeah. computers were popular here, they were never given the due from the press, really. You had to go to specialty press, Apple, IBM, and then later Commodore 64, and and then Apple again, like somehow. It's the same thing. I mean, really, you know, it's, yeah. they struggled the whole time, but they were one of the struggling companies that seemed to not... And even though they struggled, they had the huge fan base. So... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd still have... Still have now, really. I mean, we're here. We're here. So ST. So you started with your 400. Yeah. When did you finally get into yeah. the Atari ST? Oh, right. You know what? Again, can't even remember the year. These years just passed by. But I'd left high school and I started. It was like an apprenticeship sort of thing with a computer company, a local computer company here on the Wirral in the northwest of um, England, and. They sold BBC Micros to uh, schools and they were slowly going on to like PCs and stuff like that and they repaired stuff. But this, the 16-bit started coming on the scene and they decided they wanted to stock the Atari STs. and try, They had like a little shop as well that pe the public could walk in. So they had the STs in and we had games and stuff like that. And so, so obviously I had the Atari 400. Later on, I got the 130XE as well i did actually upgrade to that and then when i was working in this computer company and they had sts i, w I was like to the boss I was like is there any chance i could buy a 520 stfm i think it was uh, but you just take it out my weekly wages kind of thing so <laughs> we did that so across however many months um i i, I paid for that st kind of wow. thing so I, got, I was working and they had the sts there and i was like i need an st i need an st kind of thing and that's when that it was at that point was like this computer's got MIDI ports, so you can connect it to a music keyboard. Before these days, it's difficult to fully emphasize the impact that Jeff Minter had on old school Atari fans like us, who had grown up through the Golden Age arcade, VCS, and 8-bit years. Old diehard Atari fans in the USA were in a place now overtaken by Nintendo, and to a lesser extent, the Commodore, Apple, and IBM machines. Warner had put cool Atari to pasture and Tremel, while doing his best to make something of it, was anything but cool. Yet his old school ideas at the new Atari allowed us to enter the 16-bit generation with an affordable multi-purpose computer in the ST that played great games, helped us explore programming skills further, and gave us a leg up in college classes. What it wasn't, at least here in the USA, was cool. And what Atari fans needed more than anything else was something to make Atari cool again, even if it was just for a short while. Even though the ST sold well here in the USA, very few stores carried software for it. We purchased what we could find, such as SSI role-playing games, Dungeon Master, Oids, Better Dead Than Alien, and Atari's own offerings, such as Star Raiders, Joust, and Robotron. But even the small selections available started to dry up at local stores by mid-1988. 
and this resulted in us having to explore the more unsavory side of BBSs to obtain any games. What we found was an amazing array of games and software that started to come out in the UK, and we wanted legitimate access to it. We were both working part-time jobs while at university, but living at home. So what we lacked in free time, we made up for with a little extra cash, and we intended to spend that cash to buy games and needed software to support the ST in any way we could. We had just lived through the Atari 8-bit years, where piracy had supposedly killed that market, and we were determined to find legitimate places to purchase Atari ST games. One of the first games we purchased from Federated Group, Atari's ill-fated venture into vertical integration, was the official Robotron conversion. While this version was decent, it was not as good as the Atari 7800 cartridge version, and we felt that the ST had a lot more to offer speed and gameplay-wise that was not being utilized. Little did we know that Waiting in the Wings was a brilliant, independent bedroom coder who had previously made great games on the Atari 8-bit and was just getting his feet wet with Atari's new 16-bit powerhouse. Yeah, well, okay, it, it's probably um, the, the, the true story of me getting into music was when I was about 13 or 14 years old. I, um, I, I've got an old, well, I had an older cousin, unfortunately he's passed away now, but he was an amazing musician. So I grew, I grew up with him and I was close to him and he was all, always, he always had a guitar or drums or drumsticks. He was just drumming on everything. And then eventually he got into a band when I was in my early teens. And it was a band that just played sort of rock cover songs. Uh, but, but they were really, really popular. And they played all these like, um, they were like social clubs around the UK. And, and then one year when I was about 13 or 14, his dad, my uncle said, oh, you need to come along. He's playing local and we can have a bit of a family get together. We'll see my cousin Kevin on stage. Uh, he, he was guitarist in this band and I went along with my teenage mind and I was at this like big, it was a social club, but there's loads of people there. It was just after Christmas. It was packed. Everyone was just up for it. They got on stage. They played all these like amazing rock songs and he was literally like a guitar god playing all these <laughs> solos and stuff. And, and at one point he was on the shoulders of the singer as he's like playing a solo. And I was just like, it's my cousin. And, and I was like, I, I, I Maybe I want to be in band. Anyway, oh, yeah. so the gig was over. My cousin came off stage. He sat with us. We were just like, ah, oh, that was amazing, you know, and that was so good. And then just randomly some like attractive young lady comes across, starts talking to my cousin, and he's talking to her, and I'm kind of watching this, and she gives him a piece of paper, and I'm like, what's on the paper? And he's like, she walks off, and he's like, oh, it's, it's her phone number. And I'm like, do you know her? And he's like, he's like, no. And I was like, I need to be in a band. I obviously need to be in a band. And, it, and it was literally, I mean, that honestly, that, that was exactly my like teenage mind. That is... So I was, I was 13 or 14, so I didn't actually manage to form a band until I was, I think it was, I was 19. So, so I, I kind of wanted to, to, to at that point, I wanted to be in a band so I could meet like women that, that i mean that sounds awful but let's face it that's that's probably most men really isn't it you know i want to be in a band kind of thing so i'm 19 years old what's the worst band what or the worst style of music i could choose for a band so i just wouldn't meet women it's probably in, definitely industrial i'm gonna say it's in 
it's industrial. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a death metal band, basically. So like most gigs, it was just dudes there. And I was like, what am I doing? But at that point, I was like, I, I really like music. I really want to do something. I want to be on stage. I want to. And so that's that's kind of how it all came about. Uh, so and then, and then kind of running parallel to that, there was all the Atari stuff, and then there was um, the ST, and then I'm playing in a metal uh, a death metal band. But then I'm like, hey, there's these synths as well, which we'll never use in a death metal band, but I'm kind of really interested. And in the first band I was in called Morbid Symphony, uh, the, the death metal band, me and the drummer were interested in other styles of music, whereas everyone else was just like, let's just play, let's play something really heavy. But we were like, what else can we do? And I said to the drummer, and he said to me, if this ever all goes wrong, let's just form our own band and do all these random styles of music. And we still, I still do that with the drummer. Really? So we're still doing Flesh Resonance, which is another band that I'm. Oh, that's I'm cool. In. And and we just do all different styles of music. Now, what did you play in the first band, the death metal band? So, 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 so what? So I, we all, so me and two friends, we've all got guitars, right? So we have no drummer, no guitars, and, and sorry, no drummer, no drummer, no bass guitarist, no singer. We've all just got sort of lead guitars. So it was like, okay, look, one of us has got to take the plunge. And play something else. So I was like, I'll play bass. I'll play bass. So I've still got my first bass in the studio over there, and it's it's a really decent bass. So I was like, I'll buy a bass. And then we were, just, we were struggling for a drummer. The drummer's the worst thing to get. It's like, where do you get a drummer from? Now going back, this this all links in to the computer company that I was working at with the Atari ST and all that. There was a there's another guy my age there and he was into computers and he was into programming and stuff like that and um, apologies if you do watch this Paul he was a bit nerdy I'll just say that and I was always talking about music and stuff like that and I was like I love metal I love this and he's like yeah yeah my, my brother's a drummer and I'm like your brother plays drums what type of music and he's like he's, he's into metal he's into Slayer he's into Metallica he's into you know all these and I was like your brother and it went on for a little while, and eventually, well, poor I'm Paul, like, poor kid. No, I sorry, Paul, Paul, sorry. We, we yeah, we're friends, but he'll, he'll admit it. So eventually, I'm like, but it was just back out. then, though. Explain back then to anyone who, well, that wasn't anyone who's listening was back then. But there was a definite like you had to be something or something else. You were not something, right? Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're either into metal. Or you're a nerd, or you're, yeah, it's, it's one of them. It's like this, this, it doesn't cross over. So we go around to Paul's house to meet his brother with, you know, me with my bass guitar, my friend with the guitar, to go around to have a bit of a jam, thinking he's this guy's not going to be that good, you know. It's like again, again, apologies to Paul. I was like, it's Paul's brother, you know. So we're around there. We meet Keith, who I'm still friends with. We're still in Flesh Residence, and he's an amazing drummer. I was literally like, whoa. Why didn't you tell me this about six months ago? It was one of them kind of thing. So that's that's how I met. So you didn't ask, man. Um, and uh, it was one of them. I was like, I was rambling on about music, and he's just like, yeah, whatever. Did whatever. you so that's, use that's, the ST for music though? Um, do you know what we actually did? And I can't even remember what songs it was on because because we were like full on sort of death metal. There was a couple of little intros that we wanted. We didn't want to use synths on there. It's like, no, no keyboards, nothing. We just want guitar, bass, drums. Um, and when we went in the studio, because we didn't have 
you know, we didn't have the ability to record at home, so we had to pay for studio time and go in there and record a demo tape and and stuff. And on on probably most of our demos, we, we've got little synthy intros and just weird industrial type intros, which were created on the ST. We actually went in there with an ST, and I can't even remember the synth. It was um, I think it was the studio synth, and we actually did stuff through the ST, through Cubase. I'm sure it was Cubase we actually used and stuff like that. So we just, but it was only a small amount of stuff we, we, we did. But um, it was used, which was which was great kind of thing. It was uh, it was really good. I'm sure we did something with um, an ST music tracker as well, but I can't remember the, the track, like a little weird uh, industrial <laughs> intro with it kind of thing. It was so random. We put it through like a big mixing desk and loads of effects and stuff like that. It was, <laughs> it was fun. It that is really cool, cool, though. I mean, it doesn't matter if you did did with the ST or not. It's just, it's just awesome that you did something yeah, with did. it. So yeah, um, it. now, all of the music that Tony has that we use is mostly up on your Patreon. Um, yeah, Patreon.com slash Tony Longworth. Yeah, that's okay. the one. We, we put it, and we also are going to have another track at the end of here. And any music you hear underneath right now, that's all Tony Longworth music too. I don't know which one it's going to be. Probably from that 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 adventure game series because it's so good. And let's get go to Jeff Minter, really. Zargrads. As soon as summer 1988 began, we found that one of the previous mail-order-only software stores that advertised in USA Atari magazines now had a storefront and it was only 50 miles away. Computer Games Plus specialized in ST and Amiga imported games, magazines, hardware, and more. For the most part, we had previously purchased games sight unseen or based on months late US magazine reviews. But from the first trip to this mecca of Atari goodness, we found that the magazine reviews and imported games arrived about in tandem. Even if these goods were a month or two late to the USA, all was right on time for us, meaning we lived in a strange delayed warp of ST existence, but we never knew it. In every visit to this wondrous shop, we purchased an ST action magazine. In it, we found a literal celebration of the ST, its games, and starting in 1989, we found the Yak and Zarjaz. What is Zarjaz? It's not 100% easy to put a definition on it, but play any Jeff Minter game and you'll see a brilliant combination of brightly colored graphics, particle explosions, sound effects, perfect control schemes, and where possible, brilliant music and light shows. Most importantly, you'll find gameplay that is optimized at a speed that the target machine probably should not be able to produce. You'll find explosions galore and creativity that outpaces all other shooter games in whatever era he is creating. So I'm going to say, like, when did you, for, when were you first aware of Minter? Minter, exactly. Oh, geez. Right. So Atari 400, um, way back when. So when, when I first got that computer, there was, in this country, there was um, postal video game rental services, which was like... <laughs> You paid, I don't know, if, I can't remember if you sent a check off and they'd send you a video game, like a, a cassette, and you can keep it for a couple of weeks, then send it back. Um, so one of the early ones I got, and I didn't even know who Jeff Minter was, was Grid Runner on the Atari computer. And I was like, what the hell is this? So loaded up, 15 minute load time, comes on, amazing blaster. And I was like, this is completely different than anything I've played. So obviously no internet, didn't really know much about him. There was mention of him in different magazines, but I think probably at that time, 
he was doing more stuff for the Commodore 64 because the Atari wasn't that popular. Um, it was kind of coming to the end of the, you know, the life of the eight, Atari 8-bit sort of Minter era. Um, and then I, I kept getting these uh, games through the postal rental service. And one of the ones that turned up was um, Color Space. And I didn't know what it was at all. So this, this Color Space turns up. I was like, what? What's this? Load it up. And I was like, what to do, do? No instructions. So literally just with a joystick, I'm like, what do I do? But, yeah, me and my friend were fascinated with this this thing. It was like, what, what is it? What is it? And then eventually we realized, like, if we put it on at night, we turn the lights off in my bedroom, crank loads of music up there, like, oh, we can do all these light shows. So on this, like, small color TV, we're doing all these light shows. <laughs> and I can't even remember what music was. Trying to think what music we were into at the time. I can't even remember what the music was. It was probably a lot of like poppy stuff, I think, at the time we were listening to, but we were just like, this is amazing. And there was nothing else like it. So that's how I kind of discovered Jeff. And I was like, I, I want I want more Jeff. I need more. You know, it's kind of no, it was color. But it, it was it was color space on the on the 8-bit, but then yeah, later on it went on the ST, ST yes. as well. We did get it on the ST, so there's the ST. There's my original ST version um, as well. But yeah, Color Space, it just comes through on tape. And I'm sure it's a 16K tape through this rental service. <laughs> Me and my friend were like, what the hell is this? But we, we loved it. We got into it so much. Do you have a Color this like, Space? This is like 8-bit Atari Netflix you're talk, talking about here. It is 8-bit Atari exactly. Netflix. Exactly, that's what it is. That's what it is. So do you... What was your next thing? So, yeah, so... So for us, the first time I think we were aware of Jeff Minter was in the back pages of ST Action, right? Do you yes. do you recall Minter had some sort of column in the back of ST Action? Yeah, yeah. Was it um, was it called Yaks? Yak? Yak? Yeah, 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 yeah. I I, I absolutely love that. I, I I did love it. Yeah, yeah. It was it was amazing. It was also in oh, wasn't there a computer mag called Big K? That might be just be in the UK. I might I might have just made that up, but I'm sure. The same column was in there, or a similar column was in there, and it was just Jeff talking about this, that, and the other, <laughs> other, you know, like the Conix game system, and I just remember all that. I was like, this is amazing. This guy's... I, I got obsessed with Jeff Minter, absolutely obsessed with his games, with who this guy... It was like, these. this is just so different. Just, uh, he was the cool... Well, I guess to us, maybe other people don't think... I think a lot of people thought, like, the Big Man Brothers were cool. Um, but yeah. Minter, to us, was the cool dude who liked Atari. Right, and so yeah. it was like, oh, he's like not just into like, he's into bu building all the stuff. He's also kind of into music. He's also kind of like not a nerd. Like, okay, I kind of like this dude, right? That's kind of what it was like. He's and he talks about Atari, even the ST, as if it if it's, it kicks ass. And it's like, yeah, yeah. okay, you know, because he could make well, it well, kick ass, which was kind of cool. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. Well, he, he came back to Atari after the Atari 8-bit computers kind of were dying off and he went to the Commodore 64. He came back to the Atari ST then, didn't he? Which was, which is great. I was like, he's back. He's Yak's Yak in the back pages of ST Action was a revelation. Minter became a legend in those pages. He was a larger-than-life iconoclast, the last man holding the torch for Golden Age Atari. Through 17 issues in a row, starting in May of 1989 through September of 1990, ST fans like us were given a full three-column-page look into Jeff's mind. We had missed out on Jeff's early years of 8-bit games, but what he wrote about on the last page of each issue 
fascinated us and gave us an insight into not just the world of Atari, but also the hero's journey of the ultimate bedroom coding genius. We quickly sent in $10 directly to get a copy of Andy's attack, and when it arrived, the graphics, sound, speed, and explosions blew us away. As 1989 turned into 1990, we read through ST Action cover to cover, and what we found at the end of each issue in Yak's Yak was amazing to us. From his early development on the ill-fated Conix Multisystem, to his love of Gates of Zendikon on the Lynx, from his putting the finishing touches on Photon Storm through the final weeks of development on ST and Amiga Defender 2, readers were created to tales of game development mixed with exploits at and around Pink Floyd light shows, summer and winter vacations full of color handheld video games and intoxicants, all juxtaposed with Jeff's displeasure at the middlemen in suits who choked the life out of the game industry, making creatively devoid Me Too products because they both fit the literal and figurative boxes of the time. These suits wouldn't nose our jazz even if it reached out of their three martini lunches and backhanded them into a Tripatron days. And the Yak could put his money where his mouth was. While appreciating other systems, he always went back to espousing the Atari ethos. Jeff was the master of pushing the ST to its limits, writing new games for secret Atari machines and doing everything we wanted to do. The future was Zarjazz, and Zarjazz was the future. But you know what? In the 8-bit days, uh, I got a chance to go to quite a few um, like big Atari game shows in London. So there's some quite big ones at the big venues and all that, and I met Jeff Minter when I was like a kid. I met him a couple of times and it was just like meeting, I don't know, God, you know what I mean? You, you, <laughs> you go to his stand and his stands were amazing and um, in fact there's clips of some of, of those game shows in the Heart of Neon documentary and there was like, he's, he always had like a big fluffy sheep there which apparently he's still got, is this like big sort of toy sheep and um, and I remember um, one of the shows, it was when the Atari ST was out and he'd released Colour Space and he on the hour every hour he was doing light shows using the atari st and color space to pink floyd music being pumped through these big speakers and it was on this massive i think it was i think it was uh, like a projected screen he had a massive projector there and, and I, it just absolutely blew my mind and that got me into pink floyd it was like that what hold on firstly what is that software who is this band you know it was just there's so much it was so cool I loved it. Yeah. Uh, so he's so Minter's kind of enigmatic, right? Like he doesn't yeah. really do interviews really. I mean every once in a while, but it's not like he doesn't yeah. really, you know, if it's an interview it'll be at a show, you know, or something. Yeah. True. So so you know, why how did you guys come up with the idea for this documentary and how did you proceed with it because it seems like a pretty hard thing to do. Well, it's all down to the filmmaker, Paul Doherty. It was, I think he had the idea for this in 2016. He, he always wanted to make a video game documentary movie. There's a lot out there. And he, he wanted to do something different. And then someone, I think, mentioned to him, why don't you do something about Jeff Minter? You love his games. He's like, why don't I do something about Jeff Minter? Now, I don't know how it all came about because Jeff lives on a small farm in the middle of Wales with all his animals um, and his programming partner, Giles. And now and again, he comes out to different things and now and again, he does interviews, but not very often. But somehow Paul got in touch and he started talking 
to Jeff, he started talking to Giles, and he was just saying, well, it's really important, I think we should do a documentary on, you know, your games, your career, you, you know, still being really the only big independent sort of games programmer, games designer, uh, who's still doing exactly what you want to do, you haven't disappeared or been swallowed up by big companies or, or whatever. And it kind of obviously appealed to, to Jeff and, and, and Giles, and they, they were like, let's just do it. It's great. And then so, oh, that's cool. so I think in 2019, Paul started to do interviews. So for Heart of Neon, he started sort of traveling around, interviewing. I don't want to say who else he interviews, because I don't think it's public at the moment, but he's interviewed a, a lot of longtime Jeff Minter friends and colleagues. He's interviewed a lot of sort of um, game industry legends and YouTube gamers as well for this. But he's scheduled a certain amount of time to literally just go and stay at Jeff's farm and interview, just literally follow him around, interview him, interview Giles. So Heart of Neon has so much Jeff goodness. That sounds amazing. That's something we've been waiting for. I see all these other ones. There's... There's a, I mean, I would say that the right now with documentaries out there and with things in the industry and 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 podcasts and videos, it is broken up democratically by what the popular systems were, right? It's not like, yeah, you know, exactly. there is just there's the a right amount of Atari content for for each system for how popular it was. Now I wish there was more ST content. I wish there was more ST games coming out. And I True. get that there's not. True. And of course we have to create that. That's what we're here for, right? Well, exactly. What we need exactly. is something like a main, something more mainstream about yeah. a yeah. hero that was really an Atari hero and someone that continues yeah. to make action games. Didn't graduate to make a an RTS. He's still making Jeff Minter action games, which just rocks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just amazing. The other thing is Heart of Neon. I've, so I've seen probably about four or five different cuts of the entire movie. And we're trying to get it down to just under two hours because, um, I mean, one of the exciting things is we're actually getting out to film festivals uh, right now, basically. So fingers crossed. But I've, I've seen, as I say, four or five different cuts of the full movie, and there's so much Atari goodness in there. So you guys are going to, honestly, you're going to love it. It's a, you know, it's just like, it's so amazing. But the whole story is not just like sort of if you're into video games or if you're into Jeff Minter, it's just. An amazing story you know even if you're not into all the technical side or the gaming side it is it, it's it's so good it well is that's so the good. way it's got to be done say but stories got... just about games are kind of boring these days right because there's there's lots of you know it's i mean people go and twitch stream the entire game right i mean you can go right. watch the whole thing that being yeah. said i watch those all the time <laughs> I, I if someone has like an Atari 8-bit game that I never knew about and they're playing it for half an hour and I can lay on the couch and put it on and take a nap? I yeah. do. <laughs> I, 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 I love the same, actually. And it's, it's, it's like, oh yeah, I love that game but I could never complete it. I want to see someone complete this game. I just, I just want to see I want to see the end, if there's an ending. But for not napping, Steve, you're right. Well, no, <laughs> what I mean is is that when you, you know, you can find a um, someone covering the basic history of almost anything. Yeah. Right, it's sure. it's what yeah. emerges out of that story, right? You know, yeah. like I'm sure there's a video on YouTube right now that goes through all of Jeff Minter's games. You know, yeah, yeah go watch sure. it. Hey, it's cool. You know, that yeah. that's great. Yeah. 
but um, but finding you know he's got a there's a there's a, there's a story there to why he does this and who it's he right. really is and you know where he came from and what he's doing now and what he thinks about it that I think is is going to emerge out of this that should be pretty amazing. Okay, so pause really there for a second. Forward. Pause. Ready? Jeff Minter Games. What? I don't know what you're doing. We're showing Jeff Minter Games right now on the video oh, oh, up here. <laughs> Because you, because you said we're not. Anyway, so we just did that. We just showed a bunch of Jeff Bender games. It's okay, fun. go on. I was, I was just going to say, um, although I've explained how sort of Paul got to yes. start creating this documentary, I didn't tell you how I got into yeah. the documentary. So it was 2019. Paul did a bit of a Kickstarter, which kind of didn't reach the target he wanted, which is not a failure by any means because it's still going on and it's still, it's still going to be really good. But I saw the Kickstarter and I was literally like, oh my God, someone, someone's creating a, a, a documentary about Jeff Minter and Llamasoft. But I, I love that and I write music. And so literally I got in touch with Paul and I tested him and I sent him music. <laughs> and I was like, I can, I can be the composer you need. And, and you know, early on he was like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then eventually he's like, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, this is working. So I started writing more and more music for oh, him. Cool. And yeah, so so the, the you know the, the thing here is if you want to do something, just pester people and yeah, hopefully. I, you did get that Kickstarter? Did it didn't it didn't make the money it needed? I right? think no, I contributed it, it to it. Target, no. I contributed to it as well. So right, yeah, unfortunately. Oh no, thanks for doing that. I mean, the thing is whether or not he does another Kickstarter release of the movie. He should because although we've got nothing kind of set in stone at the moment, we're, hopefully we're going to be at film festivals. Hopefully once the movie is complete, because it's in the very later stages of final editing, polishing and stuff like that at the moment. Hopefully we'll we'll get on streaming platforms and, you know, there's ideas because we've got so much footage, which is not going to be in the film itself. It's like, should we release a Blu-ray with yes, God knows how many a Criterion collection of this on Blu-ray exactly. with Kickstarter in quotes. It's already done, right? Just give... Yeah, yeah. Take my money, please, is what yes, it should yeah, be like. Yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> but, well, so in August, so I've been working with Paul. So Paul's Scottish, but he lives in Brooklyn. So we've been doing everything online and stuff like that. So in August, um, Paul was invited over to Zap Live, which is a big Commodore event. So they hire out, uh, they, it's in the middle of the country, a place called Kenilworth. They hide out uh, an entire Holiday Inn hotel and for that Saturday, they literally had all sort of Commodore 64, Amiga. They did actually have like an Atari set up. It was actually, is it Archer McLean's oh, yeah. Atari drop zone? They actually had his Atari 800 there, like a bit of a oh. sort of a nod in the memory of him. And it was nice to see that. They had so much goodness there, but Paul was invited over and I was invited there so we could show off uh, like the intro to Heart of Neon and do a Q&A with Jeff Minter and Giles as well so they come along wow, so I actually got fantastic. to meet my heroes which was a bit of a that's amazing a, not, you know what, what happened at the zap show because yeah. I think you wanted so, to continue when so, Jeff interrupted you so 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 the so the zap show it was literally just a gathering of retro enthusiasts on the Saturday and we got to show off the intro like the 30 minute intro to Heart of Neon and then Jeff and Giles went in. So it's a packed room. And Paul, the filmmaker, says to me, I mean, I was excited meeting Jeff and Giles anyway. And Jeff, um, Paul said to me, 
while I'm doing the intro to the start of the movie, can you wrangle Jeff and Giles and once the 30 minute intro's finished, can you get them in? So I was a little bit nervous. So I was like, and I really, so, so when, bit, bit of, let's go a bit further back. We're all excited. Everyone was excited for Jeff Minter to turn up at that show. And he turned up. So the show started, I don't know, nine in the morning. He rocks up about half 10, 11 and all that. I get to meet him, Paul introduces him, and I'm nervous, I'm meeting someone who I look up to, and I was thinking, I was thinking I've, I've just got to introduce myself and say, I write, I'm writing the music, and blah, 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 and I meet Giles as well. We get photos. I thought, I better get photos now, because they're going to get mobbed when they go in, which they did. So as they were walking around the event, they were interested to see everything. And people were like, oh, can you sign this? Can you get photos? So they really did get mobbed. So I actually thought, I'm not going to get much time with Jeff and Giles. Anyway, when we started screening the intro to Heart of Neon and Paul was doing his little intro talk, Jeff and Giles just like rocked up with me and started chatting. And literally while the 30 minute intro was on in the background, we're standing outside the room and I'm I think Giles was talking to someone else, but I was, Jeff was just full on talking to me. Oh. And I forgot. So it was like, it was, honest to God, such a fanboy moment. <laughs> That's awesome. I was talking about everything, everything, and I was like, you got me into Pink Floyd, and, and we really got on really, really well. It was so good. And then it was like, and then the intro to the movie had ended, and it was like, please welcome Jeff Minter, Giles. So everyone's like, ah, and then they all go in, and it was this amazing, Q&A. I can't even remember how long it went on for Paul, the filmmaker. He, he ran the Q&A. It was really, really good. People were asking questions from the audience and it was just perfect. But the second, well, not the second day, sorry, that was just a one-day event. But the day after on Sunday, Paul said, while I've got Jeff Minter and Giles in one place, I want to sit down with them and I want to show the entire cut of Heart of Neon and get their feedback and he said to me, I want you to be there as well. I was like, oh my God, this is so <laughs> nerve-wracking, but so exciting. So the second day, we actually got a big room in the hotel, big screen, nice sort of um, uh, sound system as well. And a, a, a comfy couch for uh, Jeff Minter and for Giles. I was sitting on a chair literally right next to them, all sitting this side. And it was it was like, oh my God, this is nerve-wracking. And then <laughs> Jeff and Giles were just like, really, this really nice people they're really cool but we we were nervous because like we're showing this movie off we put so much work into it and anyway you put the movie on start going through the movie jeff and giles start giving us commentary on certain things that are on screen oh it wow was, was mind-blowing did it get so recorded earlier on uh, no none of this Darn. Was recorded, no. <laughs> no, it was just for us it was just for us so there's certain things on screen like some of the old Atari shows in the UK, and Jeff's like, "Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah." And, and he's giving me like background. Then, then Giles is giving me all his background on some of the games, and he's like, "Oh, that was a nightmare to actually get this out and blah." And you know, and he's talking. I was like, "This is so so good. It was it was amazing." And then, kind of the highlight for me, as in the the the, the music composer, there were certain scenes and like the music's ramping up, and I could see both Jeff. Giles tapping the feet next to me. I was just like, this is so <laughs> I was going to say, did they get into your music at all? That's it, awesome. it was like, 
and, and at the end, they were literally, they, they had a few like little notes, they were minor things, um, but they were like, yeah, yeah, really love it, it's great, oh, really good film, music was great, and I was like, oh, I, I was, it was, <laughs> it was the amazing day, but it, hold on, it didn't end there, so uh, Jeff and Giles had to get back to mid-Wales, so they were like, can, can anyone give us a lift to uh, Coventry Station? <laughs> so it's like, me, 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 and they're like, yeah, if you don't mind, literally. So it's, it's, it's just a bit of a, a windy drive, you know. It's a few miles, but honest to God, we had this amazing, like, nerdy fanboy sort oh. of journey back, and they were talking. Jeff was talking about his time, his, his original time at Tari, and 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 um, uh, Giles was talking about like stuff he's into, and then they're like, you know, oh, it's amazing. And like Giles is like, you got the new Zelda game? It's great. I love playing. You know, and it was just like <laughs> I just didn't want to go, and it was, it was, it was amazing. I was just like, that's the car got, ride you never wanted to end. Yeah. Right? Well, it's you a, know what? You're you're going back to Liverpool. Are they in North Wales or are they? No. They're, so they're more. It's kind of mid to south. I know. I was like, how how far round can I actually drive? <laughs> <laughs> I go about four hours out my way just to take him home. <laughs> And all that, but do you know what's funny? As I'm driving them to the station, we're, we've got this full on conversation. It's just like, it's just, it's my dream. And then suddenly, for some reason, intrusive thought, it's like, for God's sake, don't crash and kill. It was, oh. it was a difficult junction, and I was just like, oh my god, just imagine if I got, like, sort of, you know, taken out by a truck or something. Now it's like, Jeff Minter dead, and it's my fault. This, this, this would have been a different podcast. Dark really, music composer that. kills Jeff Minter! <laughs> oh my god. Oh, just, just, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. It was mind-blowing. The Legacy. The end of 1991 brought the ultimate Jeff Minter game to the ST, Lamatron. Everything that the official 1987 version of Robotron had lacked, this had. It was plastered with Zarjaz, Particles, Beasties, and more. It blew away every other single screen shooter on the ST and cemented the Yak as the master of the 16-bit Atari. To us, Jeff Minter was later years Atari. He was one of us. He understood us and embodied everything we loved about Golden Age Atari. In the back pages of ST Action and Beyond, he cemented himself as a true legend, the king of the Atari shooter, the ultimate bedroom coding genius. There will only ever be one Zar Jazz producing, beastie loving yak. Jeff Minter literally controlled and continues to control the Zar Jazz in the vertical plane. So, so when is this, when is the launch of the movie? Like when is this all happening now? We're hoping this year. We've got no firm date. We're, we're at the very sort of late stage of editing, polishing, and polishing some of the music up. Paul's doing everything else, so we haven't got any firm dates at the moment. But we've uh, we have applied for some pretty big film festivals, so we get accepted into those. That's going to be really, really good for us. So we've got nothing set in stone, but we're, we're quite close. Hopefully, so I can't, I can't give you a date. That's a bit rubbish, but it'll be worth the wait, though. No, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, Infocom games, memories of Infocom, right, Tony? What, what is this? This is. I've got it right here. This is actually um, music inspired by Infocom games. I love Infocom games. As a kid. I played them and I still play them and I thought wouldn't it be cool if I actually wrote an album 
just inspired by these amazing games like Zork, like Deadline, like Ballyhoo. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a volume one. Hopefully I'll get around to doing a volume two because there's so many games, but it's just, yeah, sort of text interactive adventure games inspiring my music. And inside that box, so you can purchase this box and, and what comes in the box? So, 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 so it's, it is an Infocom style box. If you're watching this on video, if it's on audio, yes, watch it on video. Um, so inside, inside the box, inside the box, I should actually get everything out. But there is actually an audio tape. It's all the music on audio, tape, <laughs> all the music on CD. Oh, it's wow. all the music on. There's a little S. Should we get it? Should we get it out? There's a little um, SD card with all the music on there as well. So I mean, I was so made up that we actually released it on audio tape. Let's have That's a look at this one. Look at, look at this, look at this audio tape. <laughs> oh, so, so amazing. And we've got it on CD. We have a poster in there. There is a big poster in here as well. If we open the poster, so we have a nice poster. I should really have this on the wall, but it's wow, there. We've got stickers and... It's uh, like buying an Infocom game. It is like buying an Infocom game. You've even got the Polyplay stroke Infocom registration card <laughs> so everything's in there and we've got like a there's a nice there's a nice card in there about how to play interactive fiction and there's a load of info on there oh, that's nice. we have a nice manual as well so, so the manual does, how does one get a copy of this like it would come so if you get one like... over to polyplay the company is called polyplay p-o-l-y play i think it's polyplay.org I haven't got it right to we'll me, but it, let's we'll put it in the right show notes. Probably, I did yeah. buy a copy, by the way, Jeff, when it came, came out. I was Thank very excited about this. So, so did, you, did you like the sample transcript in the... If you read the sample transcript in the actual manual, it's it's like an interactive um, ad, uh, adventure game, and it's all to do with <sighs> like you know solving puzzles, going in a music studio, and oh blah, my God, blah, blah. That's <laughs> fantastic. Which it's, is good. So, so was, Tony did write an adventure game for the ST. Oh, uh, for the 8-bit Atari, oh. um, yeah, uh, Moonstone, it's Moonstone. called, it is out there somewhere, Moonstone, right. yeah, it's, yeah, you can find it online, it's, yeah, in fact, there's a video of me playing it and thinking, what the hell was I thinking when I was, like, whoever else, yeah. What, were you, like, 14 when you made the, how, probably, how old were you? Probably 14, yeah, yeah, probably 13, 14, probably just before I actually saw my cousin getting the telephone number of that young lady and thinking, shall I go <laughs> to the computer room? Or the music room. <laughs> I, I seem to remember uh, Jeff and I going in editing some antic magazine, you know, text adventure or something, and oh, attempting yeah. to make our own back in the day too. But I think it lasted for about a day. Like it's like it's very very uh, difficult to put all together and get it's, it done. It's, 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 incidentally, that Moonstone, the adventure game I wrote, it appeared in the UK Atari Magazine page six. Yes. Oh, that's well. awesome. Yes. Which was amazing. So you can find that online as well. I, so I, I, I Jeff has my collection of Page Six magazines that I got years ago. You don't have as many. I mean, you have about thirty Page Sixes, but there's a billion of them that came out. So it's not in any of those. But I do have your collection. Oh, that's too bad. It's right here. The collection that's is right here. Oh, amazing! Amazing. I love that magazine. But but yes. Um. So Tony, what did you use to write that? Was it a tool, a venture creation tool? It was an adventure creation tool. It was, and I, I can't remember off the top of my head what it was now, but it was, um, 
it will come back to me eventually, it's but I can't remember. Probably, right? like yeah, yeah it, probably says, it probably says in there, yeah. Because it was like exported out as like sort of, um, I'm guessing machine code, it was a difficult typing sort of um, uh, game, really. It was, uh, yeah, but it was it was great to, to get in Page Six magazine. I love that magazine. In fact, I got to meet the people who created Page Six at one of those Atari shows as well. Oh, oh that's awesome. Like, this is, this is the people who do it. Yeah. So in the last few minutes, tell us about your setup now to create music. What do you what do you use to to create the music for this uh, for this movie? So um, I'm the main software I use. Well, I use two pieces of software. I use Ableton Live and I use Cakewalk Sonar. I've actually used Cakewalk for quite a long time, and it's gone through all different versions. So I've kind of uh, kind of using them. I'm using a lot. I've got quite a few hardware synths in the studio here. A lot of Korg uh, hardware, uh, which I love. I love the sound. So in in Heart of Neon, there's a lot of nice Korg synths because the kind of there's a lot of spacey tripped out and a lot of like fast sounding synths as well. So it's like it's perfect for for Lama soft stuff really. So that's that's kind of like the main the the, the, the main gear I've been using uh, for for that. Cool. And and um, how does your wife feel about all this? <laughs> I don't know. I don't see her much, so I'm not too sure. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Especially not no, on Saturday yeah. and Sunday afternoon at four thirty when you're <laughs> talking to a couple nerds from the USA about <laughs> your Ataris. Um, Gotta go now. I'll see you later. I'll be an hour or so. It'll be fine. She's fine. She's fine with it. She's fine. In fact, she she loves the fact that like she knows how much of like a fan. I, I am of Jeff Minters and she was like, Oh my god, you're gonna you're gonna meet him. I can't oh, believe you know so she was like made up for me as well. So it was it was really good. I was like, Oh yeah. So yeah, it was it was fun. It was fun. So Tony, it's, well, that's awesome. it's been really great talking to you. We know you don't have a lot of time. We will continue to use your music and, and obviously we want to commission you to write a song it, for while us. you allow us to do it. While you allow us to do it yeah. until you become so famous that you start charging us and we have no money to pay you. <laughs> but Listen, I'm I'm part of the team. I know. Okay, I mean, we're good. Brothers, so, the three, you know, yes, I'm, the I'm, three Atari I'm, brothers. But what song would you like to choose? If I, if just I want, I want, want you to think too much about it. I want you to choose one of the songs, maybe from the Zork, because we're doing that. We don't have to do any Heart yeah. of Neon music at the moment because we don't have it. But maybe from that Zork series, or any. Do you know what? Do, do you know what I'm thinking now? I'm going to send you a piece of music from Heart of Neon. Ah! See, uh, I I'm was hoping that. for that, but I didn't it. want to say it. <laughs> no, you dropping the hints. Drop, you, yeah, let, let, I'm going to send you after this. After this, I'm going to dig out a piece, and you are free to use it in the show. Oh, Thank you. Gosh, well, that's it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's all it is. That's all it is. <laughs> uh, well, Tony, obviously, great talking to you as always. Thank you for hey. all of your support right. over the years, and we can't wait for Heart of Neon to come out and to play wow. the song we're going to play right now. Do you have any name of it, or it's just a... You know what? I don't know, but there we go. Here it, here it comes. Here... We want to thank Tony Longworth for the interview and all the great music. It's been our ultimate pleasure to add a track or two of his to every podcast in the last five plus years, and we will keep doing so until he tells us to get lost. You're about to hear Tony's new track, T2K, from the Heart of Neon soundtrack. Until next time, into the vertical plane.
Hi, this is Tony Longworth, UK dark alternative music composer and all-round Atari nut. Make sure to check out my Patreon music campaign. That's patreon.com slash Tony Longworth. Lots of free music over there. And if you can afford a dollar or two, please help me continue to write music. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast and supporting Into the Vertical Blank. And I hope you like this piece of music of mine.
An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.